You want to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, this morning, uh, verse 33, Matthew five thirty-three, continuing in our series in the Sermon on the Mount. Let me read the passage this morning, 33, verses 33 through 37. Matthew 5. Again, you have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not make false vows, but shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. But I say to you, make no oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is the footstool of his feet, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you make an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your statement be, yes, yes, or no, no. Anything beyond these is of evil. Lord, we, we take serious the words that you speak to us. And we want to be sensitive to what the Holy Spirit would apply these words from the Sermon on the Mount to our lives. We thank you for the words that you've spoken over the last few weeks. And we pray that uh, even this morning, we be careful to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Open up our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. From time to time, all of us have had to deal with someone who didn't always tell the truth. Perhaps you've had somebody like that in your family or in the neighborhood or perhaps at your place of work. And after a while, you began to get what I call, when you hang around them or you're around those people, what I call an icky feeling. It's like you feel icky. Something's wrong. Have you ever had that feeling? It's not you. It's them. It's them. That can cause many problems in interpersonal relationships when people aren't speaking the truth. But it can especially cause problems within the church. Many, many years ago, we had a single lady join our church. And uh, within a few months, I noticed that the women's group was all <laughs> kind of fighting with each other. And I was trying to think, what's going on? But then we found out that what she was doing, she was going to one person saying one thing and going to the other person and saying something about the first person that was opposite what she had said. And before we know it, the ladies' group was all in a huff. And so when the staff confronted her, she, she got mad and left. And then within just a few weeks, everything quieted down. Well, in our passage this morning, Jesus is dealing with the fourth of six things that are found in chapter 5. You remember he said, beginning in verse 21, you've heard that the ancients were told you shall not commit murder, but I say to you. Verse 27, you've heard that you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you. Verse 31, 
Whoever sends his way, you've heard that it was said, whoever sends his way, his wife away, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you, and this morning you have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not make vows, false vows, but you shall fulfill your vows, but I say to you. What he's doing, just kind of reviewing, he's confronting the false teaching of the religious leaders of his day and presenting the ultimate truth behind the scriptures that they were quoting. So this morning, we want to talk about uh, this whole uh, issue of oaths, vows, and much more important, telling the truth. Here in the church, we call it being evangelistic. Evangelistic, stretching the truth. As we look at these verses, there's four main thoughts that I've come up with, along with um, several of the passages that will kind of hone in and help us understand what Jesus is saying in this passage, but then also applying it to our own lives. So let's take a look. In your bulletin, there's a little outline you can follow along with me. First thought is, we need to understand what the Hebrew Scriptures taught. Now, in verse 33, Jesus quotes what was being taught by them. You shall not make false vows, but you shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. Now, what is being said there is not literally a verse. You can't find that in the, in the Hebrew Scriptures. It's more of a compilation of several verses or it's actually just a commentary on about four verses or more that are found in the scriptures. And so um, let's take a look at them and then kind of package it together what the Hebrew scripture says about this particular issue. Uh, the first one is found in Leviticus. So you have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, third book in the Hebrew scriptures, Leviticus 19.12 says, Leviticus 19.12, You shall not swear falsely by my name so as to profane the name of the Lord your God. I am the Lord. This is admonishing the people of God not to lie, to tell the truth, but especially not to attach the Lord's name to that untruth that you're speaking. Okay? Now let's look at Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 5. This is the third commandment of the Ten Commandments, Deuteronomy 5.11. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. Now normally we think of this as an admonition not to use the name of the Lord in some sort of curse. It does mean that, but it also means, it also means that we're not to use the name of the Lord when we're telling an untruth to somehow qualify what we're saying. Look with me, the next chapter, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 13. You shall fear the Lord only, the Lord your God, and you shall worship him and swear by his name. And then also in chapter 23, 
chapter 23, verse 21, where the Lord says, When you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay to pay it, for it would be a sin in you, and the Lord your God will surely require it of you. What we see here is that we are to fear the Lord, we're to honor his name, and we're to take serious any oaths or vows that we make fully intending to keep what we've said. In other words, not to say one thing and do something else. And especially not attach the name of the Lord to what we've just said. Okay. So, basically, um, with those verses, there's probably several others, but we won't look at them. What the Hebrew Scriptures taught And if we go back to Matthew chapter 5, verse 33, essentially what they were quoting was a compilation or commentary of what the Hebrew scriptures teach. Now, we'll see in a minute that vows and oaths were not prohibited, but are found both in the law, in the Hebrew scriptures, and also in the historical books. Okay, so we got kind of an idea or what the Hebrew scriptures say. Now, the second thing that we need to kind of look at, we need to understand what the scribes and the Pharisees taught. What the scribes and the Pharisees taught. As you look at verse 33, you're saying, what's the problem, Jesus? It's not literally a scripture, but certainly it's a valid commentary on what is written in the Hebrew scriptures. The problem, however as we'll see when we turn to Matthew chapter 23, there was a big difference between what they actually said and what they actually did. They were saying one thing, but they were actually doing something else. You remember the, the following weeks, the, the past weeks we had looked at, verse 21, they said, well, uh, you know, I haven't committed murder, so I'm fine with the Lord. I'm righteous in the Lord. Even though in their hearts they had bitterness and unforgiveness towards those around them. They would say, well, I haven't committed, actually done any adultery, but they were lusting after people, women who were not their wives. And last week they said, well, I I did obey the Lord. I did give my wife a certificate of divorce, totally invalidating the fact that it went against God's will in Genesis chapter 2, which was his uh, original intention for marriage was one wife for life. So what they were saying was one thing. What they were doing was something else. So let's take a look at Matthew chapter 23, where Jesus is kind of working over the scribes and the Pharisees, dealing with what they did. What they said in verse 33 was fine, was fine. What they were doing, however, was a different story. Look with me in Matthew 23, where we have a whole series of issues that Jesus deals with them. But in verses 16 through 22, he deals with this particular subject that we're looking at this morning. Woe to you, blind guides. He calls them blind guides. Earlier in Matthew 15, he says, if someone who's blind is leading the blind, guess where they both end up? 
in the ditch. Okay, but let's look. Woe to you blind guides who say, whoever swears by the temple, that's nothing. But whoever swears by the gold of the temple is obligated. You fools, blind men, which is more important, the gold or the temple that sanctifies the gold? And whoever swears by the altar, that's nothing. But whoever swears by the offering on it, he is obligated. You blind men, which is more important, the offering or the altar that sanctifies the offering? Therefore, whoever swears by the altar swears by both the altar and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by the temple and by him who dwells within it. And whoever swears by heaven swears both by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. Notice what they were doing. They had begun to develop an intricate system, an intricate system by which they appeared to tell the truth by attaching an oath to it without necessarily having to keep what they said. Look at verse 16. Whoever swears by the temple, nothing. In other words, you don't have to keep your word, but if you swear by the gold, then you're obligated. Verse 18. If they swore by the altar, that's nothing. But by the offering that's on the altar, then one is obligated. Notice what the practice is. They seemingly, in order to protect the sanctity of the divine name and to obligate them not to keep what they said, they introduced surrogate objects which were somehow up for grabs whether they had to keep what they were saying. The idea was the further they removed the oath from the divine name, the less danger they faced in violating the commands that they had quoted. And one could arbitrate which oaths were actually binding and which were uh, allusions to God's name without being binding. It was against this teaching and this practice that Jesus speaks against in Matthew chapter 5. They were saying one thing and once again doing the complete opposite and they had developed this elaborate system whereby they could say and give an oath and not necessarily be obligated to keep what they had said. So the issue really gets to not vows and oaths but gets to the fact that they were lying. They were not speaking the truth. That indeed is the issue. Okay. Now, going back to Matthew chapter 5. So we've kind of looked at what the Hebrew scriptures taught, what the scribes and the Pharisees were doing and what they taught. Now let's take a look at what Jesus is saying. How do we understand these words that Jesus gives to us? Notice what he says. Verse 34. But I say to you, make no oath at all, either by heaven, 
For it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is the footstool of his feet, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you make an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Well, you can. <laughs> but it's only fake oath. It just washes away after a while. But let your statement be yes, yes, or no, no. Okay. How do we, how do we understand these? words. Is Jesus saying um, and giving an absolute prohibition against saying, giving any oaths? Jesus in this passage is telling us that whenever we make an oath, whether it's, it doesn't make any difference what it is, is because God is behind everything. He's behind all of that. The temple, the altar, heaven, earth. Even our hair. He's the creator of all. Now, some would say as a result of especially verse 34 and 37 that Christians are obligated not to take any oath. Isn't that what he says? Verse 34, make no oath at all. Verse 37, let your, your statement be yes, yes, no, no. And all else beyond this is evil. How do we kind of understand what Jesus is teaching here? Some would say that when we go to court, we shouldn't take an oath. Isn't that what Jesus is saying? Some would say, well, you know, when you, uh, how about the Pledge of Allegiance? I pledge allegiance. That's an oath. Should we refrain from saying the Pledge of Allegiance? How about when we go in the armed services, we raise our hand and pledge allegiance to the Constitution of the United States? Are those wrong? How do we understand these words? Let's take a look. Let's consider this for just a moment. I came across in the Hebrew scriptures a whole list of things about oaths both in the law and in the historical books. And in the law, there's several places that give instructions to God's people that when we give an oath, this is what we're to do. Numbers 30, verse 2. And there's many, many. I'm just going to share a few. Numbers verse 30, verse 2 says, If a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself to that pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. That's instructions in the law of God concerning vows and oaths. I also found in the historical books, in the historical books, over and over again, where godly men and women, godly men and women, used vows and oaths. In Joshua 14, verse 9, it's quoted that Moses swore on that day, surely the land on which your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance for you and your children forever. Moses made an oath. In the book of Ruth, in the book of Ruth, Ruth says in verse, chapter 1, verse 17, where I die, where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more so, also, if anything but death parts me from you. Now, many times you'll hear that in 
marriage ceremonies, but that's completely taken out of context. But nevertheless, it is an oath that she made. In Ezra, chapter 10, verse 5, it's written, Then Ezra arose and made the leading priests and the Levites and all Israel take an oath that they would do so as they had said. In Isaiah, chapter 14, verse 24, it says, The Lord of hosts has sworn, As I have planned, so it shall be. As I have purpose, so it shall stand. So throughout the Hebrew Scriptures, in both the law and the historical books, we see over and over again both instructions on how to do oaths and vows and godly men and women who followed that which was written. Okay, how about the New Testament? You say, well, that's all, that's the old covenant, Neil, that's the old covenant. Well, how about the, the New Testament? What does that say about oaths? Several times in the book of Hebrews, we find God swearing an oath and making a vow. Um, verse, chapter 6, verse 13 in Hebrews says, For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swore, he swore by himself. Do you remember that verse? Hebrews chapter 6, verse 17 says, So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So God himself in the New Testament gave oaths. In Romans chapter 1, verse 19, Paul, in writing the book of Romans, says, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of the Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you in my prayers. 1 Corinthians 1.10, Paul writes, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and there be no divisions among you. 2 Corinthians 1.23 But I call God to witness against me. I was to spare you that I refrain from coming to you again in Corinth. Galatians chapter 1 verse 20 In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. So that oath. And even in the book of Revelation, chapter 10, verse 5. And the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven and swore and made an oath. Throughout the Hebrew scriptures and throughout the New Testament, we have the Lord making oaths, we have angels making oaths, and we have the writers of the New Testament making vows and oaths. I came, I came across eight pages of those things. Um, so it's just not, just not the ones that I wrote, wrote down and shared this morning. Okay. If these are found in the Bible, how do we reconcile what Jesus says in verses 34 and 37? We have an issue. We got an issue. Okay. Let me 
give what I think is a reasonable answer, okay? Jesus' words in Matthew 5, listen carefully, Jesus' words in Matthew 5 are directed towards that which we see in Matthew chapter 23. He's speaking directly to the practices of that were going on in that day. We are not to use oaths as a cover for not telling the truth. Remember we used to say, I swear and hope to die. Did you ever say that? When you were lying? The issue, in my mind, is not so much a command against any and all oaths, but it's a command to tell the truth. It's a command to speak the truth. Now, I come to this conclusion, you might disagree with me, based on the context of Matthew 23 and Matthew chapter 25, and the evidence found over and over and over again, which we find both men in the Hebrew scriptures and men and women in the New Testament scriptures that took oaths and vows. Okay. How do we understand the application to us, finally? In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1, Paul writes that we are not to receive the grace of God in vain. What does that mean? How do you receive the grace of God in vain? When the grace of God comes into your life, it calls, causes you to change. In other words, when, when God's grace comes into you, the New Testament teaches that we are not to just let it come in. Okay, I've received the grace of God, and now I'm free to continue my sinful life. Receiving the grace of God in vain is saying, well, now God has forgiven me. Now I can live my life however I'd like. I can do whatever I want. No, 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 no. The grace of God has come to your life, and he's causing you to change. This is especially illustrated in the book of Ephesians, chapter 4. Ephesians, chapter 4. Paul outlines some heavy theological truths in the first couple of chapters, but Hebrew, uh, Ephesians, chapter 4, he gets very practical. Verse 17, he says, So this I say and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer as the unbelievers walk. The grace of God has come into your life. He's causing us to be different from the way unbelievers act, different from the way we acted prior to coming to know Christ. And twice in this passage, he says, verse 15, but we are to what? Speak the truth in love. Verse 25, he says, therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak the truth, each one of you to his neighbor. And we are not to give the devil an opportunity. Now, there's a very practical reason why you should always speak the truth. I don't ask for a number of hands here this morning. But if you've ever been 
arrested. You don't put on, have to put up your hand. And the police are interviewing you. You know what they do? You'll have one policeman come, and I'm not speaking out of experience. I've watched. <laughs> I have friends that this has happened. <laughs> what the policeman will do is ask you what happened and what you did. He'll write it down. And then five minutes later, another policeman will come and ask you what you did. And then maybe a third time, another policeman will ask you again. Now, if you're telling the truth, just what happened, your story will be the same the first time, the second time, the third time. However, if you're lying, after a while, you kind of forgot what you said the first time. And they'll catch you, and then they'll know you're lying. Okay, so now you're not planning on getting arrested, but here's the truth. Just tell the truth. Just tell the truth. Speak the truth. Now, in some Asian cultures, there is um, kind of a practice, it's part of their culture, where people will say yes without ever intending to go along with what they said. That's in some ancient cultures. And so they'll say yes to you because they don't want to embarrass you by saying no, by the request that you'd asked, or they want to save face with themselves. So they can say that that's the purpose. But what happens is you don't know <laughs> who, is that a real yes or maybe a fake yes, and they're really not going to happen. And so the, it gets very, very confusing to try and figure out when are they saying yes and when are they saying no. Now, God has to permeate. Well, you could say, well, Neil, that's just part of the Asian culture. No, 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 that's sin. That's just plain old sin. And God is, has to percolate beyond the culture. I had a friend of mine, uh, some of you know him, Robbie Fowler, Robbie was serving the Lord uh, in Asia, and Nancy and I went over and visited him, and he sat down, and he says, Neil, I'm pulling my hair out. I said, what's the matter, Robbie? Robbie got saved when he was a freshman in high school, and then he went on to be a missionary. And Robbie said, well, I have Christian workers working for me, and if they come in late, they'll lie that they came in late. And if somebody did something, and I asked someone else, well, did he do that? They'll lie about it. And he says, these are Christian people, and yet it's part of the culture. And he says, I can't figure out how to run this place because nobody's telling me the truth. And eventually, one of the, that was one of the reasons that Robbie packed up and came back to the United States. I have a friend of mine, dear friend of mine, and when he tells me he's going to do something, I can put money in the bank on it. Over the years that I've known him, if he said he's going to be somewhere or he's going to do something, I can count on him doing it. And if he's not going to do it, guess what? I get a phone call. Neil, I can't be there. I can't do that. That permeates his life personal life, and his business life. 
I had a friend who was a, a Christian counselor. And you know what she said to me? This was years ago. She said, you know, Neil, I'd rather do business with non-believers. I said, why is that? She says, because non-believers pay their bills on time. Some of you Christians think that just because God has forgiven you and you have his grace, that you don't have to pay your bill. Well, it's, you know, it's called what we call in, in the ministry, sloppy agape. <laughs> sloppy agape means you don't have to show up on time. You don't have to pay your bills. And if, uh, if you have a counseling appointment, um, just don't show up. Don't even have the courtesy to call and say, hey, I'm not going to be there. And when we that live that kind of sloppy, agape kind of life, we come very close to what exactly the scribes and the Pharisees were doing. And Jesus rebuked them soundly for their practice. I'm going to show a video, just a short video clip in closing. Um, and the setting is a couple that's having, they're talking about their issues. Okay? So listen carefully and watch the screen. It's just, there's all this pressure, you know? And sometimes it feels like it's right up on me. And I can just feel it, like literally feel it in my head and it's relentless and I don't know if it's going to stop. I mean, that's the thing that scares me the most is that I don't know if it's ever going to stop. Yeah. Well, you do have a nail in your head. It is not about the nail. Are you sure? Because, I mean, I'll bet if we got that out of there... Stop trying to fix it. No, I'm not trying to fix it. I'm just pointing out that maybe the nail is causing... You always do this. You always try to fix things when what I really need is for you to just listen. See, I don't think that is what you need. I think what you need is to get the nail See, you're not even listening now. Okay, fine. I will listen. Fine. It's just... Sometimes it's like... There's this achy... I don't know what it is. And I'm not sleeping very well at all. And all my sweaters are snagged. I mean, all of them. That sounds really hard. It is. Thank you. Ow! Come on. If you would just... Don't... Try to see things my way. Do I have... Why did I show that? (laughs) Give you something to talk about on the way home. (laughs) I showed you that because words are important. Words are important. What we speak out of our mouth is very, very important. They must be true. And, as we saw in the video, true words must be Listened to. Listened to. In our passage, Jesus presses home the importance of speaking the truth. But also, as we see in the Bible, it's important to not only speak the truth, but listen 
to the truth. Jesus did that, and he not only, like our scribes and the Pharisees, not only taught the truth, but he did what? He lived the truth. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He testified, thy word is truth. Now, if you believe the truth, why don't we start speaking the truth in all of our ways and, much more important, listening and yielding to the truth? in all the ways that he is speaking to us. Paul writes, speak the truth in love. Jesus says, let your statements be yes, yes, no, no. And anything beyond this is of evil. Pray with me, please. Father, we, we get so convicted by these words because oftentimes we find ourselves being evangelistic. We don't know if people can count on our words because... We'll say one thing and then do something else. And oftentimes, as believers, we say, well, we're under the grace of God. We're under the law. But yet, over and over again, when your son came, he spoke the truth to us. And every one of us who is a believer this morning is trusting your word that when we pass from this life we'll not come under the judgment of God but we'll be welcomed into the kingdom because of what you promised to us on the cross we're putting our trust in your word Help us, dear Lord, to walk in your footsteps that what we say is the truth. In Jesus' name, amen.